Sometimes pain is for the greater good. Veronica Roth. I am legend. for this episode are animal deaths and suicide. Please stay safe and stay sane. Thanks for listening. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Feed Don't Eat Your Brain. I'm Zachary Ballard, and with me today is Micah Bruner. Uh, Micah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes, hello. Uh, I'm Micah. Uh, I don't know what you want me to say about myself. Uh, just I'm, uh, sort of what you do. Um, I'm an old man. Uh, <laughs> I do old man things. <laughs> I'm an attorney by trade, uh-huh. uh, but I work for the state currently uh, for the Board of Pardons and Parole. So nothing terribly exciting. Uh huh. Um, but then just live my life, enjoy watching movies. Yeah, Micah was my one of my young men's leaders in when I was growing up. So he knew me when I was just a little guy, and now <laughs> I guess I'm just a bigger little guy. Uh, but we never stopped being the little guy. Yeah, yeah. Micah's still a little guy, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, Micah reached out to me when I first started this and, um, I chose him to do I Am Legend. So right now we are going to talk about I Am Legend and I gotta be honest, I wasn't expecting this movie to make me so sad. Um, oh man. It's a heart wrencher. Yeah. Like, no, there's, sorry, there's a, there's a lot about it that just, so it's funny, I have some people at work uh, who recently retired, uh-huh. and uh, one guy in particular <clears throat> is uh, single and has lived by himself for quite some time, and the way Will Smith fills his time makes me think of this guy, uh-huh. <laughs> and just him trying to find things to do to fill his time, because there's just nothing else going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has the he has the um, trials, I guess, and still testing, but there's only so much you can do at a time with that, and... It's just it's just a sad story, like with his with his family dying and in front of him and he's all alone and Well well and not just his family dying, but to live with the knowledge that had you not pressed so hard to get them on that helicopter Yeah that that they well, I suppose the you know, you you would be able to reconcile it with yourself by saying, Well, if they hadn't been on the helicopter, then then likely at least his wife would have been susceptible to the the virus and therefore he would have watched her turn and had to do to her what he and it, sorry i'm getting ahead of myself but what he has to do later on in the movie and then but perhaps his daughter would have survived because she would have had his blood uh, yeah. in her and she could have also been immune like he was yeah and i th- i think i think what they were getting to is that the people that were already infected like everyone was already infected or not if you were immune because they didn't re- they didn't really establish like how airborne it was. I'm just assuming that it was already airborne and um, the wife didn't, didn't really have it at the time, but she had like strains of it or something. I'm not sure, but just, yeah. Well, from what I remember, cause you have that, that brief moment with Emma Thompson on the, the television interview where she's basically saying, Hey, we've cured cancer. We've used a strain of measles to cure cancer. Yeah. And that's and in by, by putting that into humans, it creates this airborne uh, thing that, that causes people to turn. So yeah, you're right. Either either you were immune, or you were going to turn or die some other way. Yeah. But it was it, it the the die was cast before the virus took hold. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think airborne zombie viruses are 
are even more terrifying. There's only one that I know of um, in Last of Us in the video games. And uh, but but you you know when you're in the air because they're spores, they're mushroom spores. But with that mm. one, it's just sort of like you breathe it in and and you're either screwed and or you're, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just the, and how he has to he has to kill his dog. I I had a oh. question about that. So he he injected his dog. He injected Sam with the um with the thing that was the closest to the vaccine, right? Right. And. I, I was thinking, like, I think the dog would have died anyway because of what happened at the end, but I was wondering why he didn't just keep Sam in, like, a container that he had and continue to do tests on him to see if he could, like, keep Sam alive and, and yeah. cure Sam. Um, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering if he loved Sam too much that he just didn't want to put her through tests, but... Yeah, I, I I was wondering about that because it seemed interesting well, to me that he just killed her. Her. Well, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, part of it is the the fact that he was so off kilter, right? Like he had he had a very regimented life. He had his schedule. He had his his alarm set. He was checking. You know, he's watching the news uh, on the day the appropriate day, and then he's got his almanac, and so he's a very regimented individual. I mean, he's a He's a colonel, a lieutenant colonel in the yeah. army or, or the military, some branch of the military, I can't remember. Yeah. But he was so off kilter after having been duped by the the zombies yeah. that I think he just he he knew that well, first of all, it's it would have been I mean, he was he was hurt. He had to he brings Sam home and just it kind of a, a, almost a Hail Mary uh injects the dog. But I think also I think it would have destroyed him to have to put his dog through what he saw the rats go through yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, and that, I mean, that would have been hard to do. And he knew, he knew a way to like bring them back to life so he could continue testing on them. And so, and even then, like, how do you know that if you do cure them, like they'll be, they'll be the same that they were, you know, like right, yeah. that mutation literally mutated their bodies into, into these monsters. And so, if you if you do cure them, like, and do they remember everything that they did? And I've talked about this in previous episodes. It's like, if you cure a zombie, do they remember everything they did as a zombie? Because that would be that would be a tough thing to deal with after the fact. No doubt. Um, yeah. To to have to reconcile that. Hey, I I remember tearing apart a <laughs> another person. Yeah. And I have to live with that day in and day out. Yeah. Um. So I saw there was a lot of like greater good aspects throughout this whole film, and. I I thought it was interesting that he he immediately like cared more about fixing this than he did about being with his family. He just cared more about his family being safe and that he was he was the one that helped create this so he was going to be the one to solve it at ground zero and I just what what are your thoughts on that? Like do you think um do you think that uh that was the right thing to do? I mean he ended up getting a cure eventually, but, um, and he would have died in the helicopter if he did go with them. So I guess, I guess just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, certainly I, I you always have to, to ask the question. Okay. So we have the introduction and, and he's telling his wife, Hey, I'm going to stay here. I got to fix this. This is my post. Uh, and that's something that kind of plays out, uh, even further on that he has to stay behind. He's got to be there. But if he could fast forward three years into the future, uh, and see what life would be like, would he have made the same choice? Yeah. Uh, because it's under the illusion that 
him staying behind will be for the greater good. And obviously, as we know, it, it eventually becomes for the greater good, what we presume to be um, with the, the vial of his blood or the, the zombie's blood that he had injected. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's certainly a very noble thing, and it's certainly something that uh, we all hope we have in us. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to know if that's the type of person we are until we're faced with that prospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't know if, and I think, I, I think he's felt a lot of guilt for causing this to to happen, because um, right. he was obviously one of the scientists that that created this, and yeah. so I I can only imagine the guilt that he felt for causing the world to just spiral into chaos and. And to have billions of people just die um, right. because of him, and I, I think I think that's one of the reasons why he decided to do that is because it it was partially his fault. Um, sure, and that guilt kind of riding through everything he does. Yeah, and and that, and I yeah he I I imagine he also has guilt for his family's death. He has guilt for his um, his dog's death, and it it makes me wonder like what's the line in which we don't cross in scientific advancements. Like, cause curing cancer obviously is, is an incredible thing. And that would be an incredible feat to accomplish, but is it worth curing cancer to, to potentially have, um, even worse diseases come about, um, or, or any other scientific, like what are the, like, do the means fit the end per se of that? Well, and the hardest part is not knowing the end, of course. I yes, mean, yes. It, you could you could certainly run a parallel to what some conspiracy theorists would have us believe with respect to what's happening right now in the uh-huh. vaccine for the coronavirus. Yeah. This idea of, well, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And so how dare we inject this into our bodies and who knows what it's going to create, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, as a scientist, you're pushing for the you know, to accomplish your goals, especially if you can cure cancer. I mean, there is certainly a lot of hubris to, to, to pursue, I mean, but life takes hubris. I mean, I think advancement takes hubris, mm-hmm. but if you don't know the end, then you can never justify the means. So there has to be an amount of faith you have to put in yourself, in your knowledge. Um, I think it's when you start to get a little questionable about the, the means that you're employing mm-hmm. uh, to get to an end you know, there, there is a lot of, and I even wrote that down in my notes that, you know, using a measles, a measles virus to cure cancer is arguably hubris because we know measles can be dangerous to individuals. Yeah. So you're playing with fire to build something bigger, but you also have to recognize that that fire can burn out of control easily, if not carefully maintained. And so you have to be very, very cautious in moving forward. Yeah. And, and the difference between the coronavirus and cancer is, is the fact that, you know, coronavirus spreads so quickly and so right. easily, but cancer, yeah. cancer isn't contagious at all. You just sort of get right. it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the, uh, the vaccine. No, 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 no. I, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I got want to be known as an anti-vaxxer. That's not <laughs> no. situation. I, no, I got that definitely that, um, okay. but I, but what I was getting to was this. Um, and so because the vaccine, because the coronavirus was so, quickly spread mm-hmm. um that the scientists had to come up with a solution quicker than they necessarily do with cancer i mean they're right. still they're still working on a cancer cure um and and quite honestly the mrna vaccines could help with cancer 
because right. you don't need the you don't need the strain in there. You you can you can trick the DNA into fighting it off. And right. but a lot of people a lot of people thought, oh, it's this new technology. When in all actuality, they've been working on this for like ten years, and right. they're like, well, let's try this out. And it's it's the data is showing to be working. But but the thing I I don't know I it makes me wonder why they didn't test it on animals first. Because because if they tested it on animals first, then they could see, oh, this this isn't going to work, you know. And because right. because obviously they they got it and then they saw it worked, and so they just they just did it very quickly. But cancer isn't like a it isn't like a dire thing for multiple people right now, you know. Well, it's, not for a not for a. I mean, it is for multiple people, yes, but it's yes, not yes. for a for a uh, mass a, group of people, right? Yeah. No, I, and I think that's you, you certainly and and not to say that they we're certainly adding a lot of backstory to the creation of this cancer cure, but mm-hmm. that is one of the risks that you run when you have non scientists who are making decisions about when and how to push certain medications, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're the company that cured cancer. And you know, yes. hey, we got to get we got to get to market because if not, our competitor has to be right on our heels. Yes. Uh, so you're pushing and trying to get it out there so that you can be the one. You may cut some corners. You may be willing to ignore certain warnings. I would like to think that we currently have a cure for cancer that is currently being tested. The amount of time and effort and, and money we've put toward the study of cancer. I would like to think that there's something that, that very secretively is in the works, but because they have to be so cautious that they're taking their time. It's only yes. when you start to say, hey, we, we got to make our money off of this before somebody else does. Then you start to cut corners. You start to engage in some questionable uh, scientific research in order to jump the gun and get to market before anybody else. Yeah, and that sort of... That's sort of awful that that you know, um, people. Some people care more about making more money than their competitors than they actually care about the lives of individuals that this this would affect. Um, and yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that while watching it, but you make a good point there. Um, well, and certainly, I mean, that's not. To, I mean, obviously, there are people who are pushing for cures who yeah. who believe, and, and there are mistakes that are made, and yeah. people who certainly pursue something. Uh, with the best of intentions and it's only, you know, three steps after all of the steps that you would normally take that something gets discovered mm-hmm. and that's certainly no fault of their own. And I think you can put uh, Robert Neville in that category of somebody who this, he was not pushing for a cure. He was a scientist who was very diligent in his work, um, mm-hmm. but there was just something that mutated that they hadn't anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I don't think that the, the cure for cancer, the vaccine for cancer, when and if it comes out, would cause something like this to happen. That seems right. pretty far fetched to me, but it's it's sort of sort of interesting the the um, you know what we do for science and what um, is moral and ethical because because there there's people that um, you know disagree with animal testing when it comes to vaccines and and disagree with like human testing when it comes to vaccines and which is why you you know you need to get the person's consent first and everything. Um, right. But it's science is science is messy and I don't think I don't think um, groups of people realize how messy science can be. Um, right. It's all about experimenting, messing up, experimenting, messing up until you get the right conclusion. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. It's certainly much more we we like to talk about science being settled and science being, you know, you got to rely on science, but science itself is an art form more than I mean obviously there's certain 
facts that follow, yeah. right? There's a scientific method. We call it that because there are steps that follow. And yet in the arena of testing medications and building medications, there's a lot more art form to yeah. finding the right combination of characters that is going to create this defense or this, this, uh, this, you know, assaultive pill that's going to go in and take care of whatever is ailing us. It, it reminds me of if, if you've ever seen the movie contagion, uh-uh. uh, it's a, it's not a zombie movie, but it's a, it's a, it's a pandemic movie. Uh-huh. And I watched it. I think I've watched it three times during this pandemic just because it's so <laughs> uh, other than the, the deadliness of the virus in, in that movie is, is super deadly and uh, not obviously much more deadly than coronavirus. But you hear all the same things, you know, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, mm-hmm. you know, stay home if you get sick. And then you got people who are pitching um, um, erroneous uh, uh, cure-alls that's going to, you know, yeah. fix everything. But you have one doctor who creates what she believes is a, a vaccine. And she's, you can just tell she's like, this is not going to work. We don't have time for this to go through everything. So she injects herself with it. Mm-hmm. And then uses that as the methodology for producing it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so very interesting that that you certainly have that art form of hey, I understand that we have to, you know, that there's there is a scientific method we have to employ things in a particular way. Yet there's also the altruistic desire to help people and to provide a cure for people who are suffering and yes. people who would die without you having taken that step. Yes, and I mean. Everything in science is still technically a theory. Like, we we understand gravity to the extent that we understand gravity, but it's still a theory. And so right. are germs, so are sleep. We don't we don't know exactly why we need sleep. We just know we need sleep, and right. that's that's the extent of it. And having having talked with people who've who've been on uh, meth such that they haven't slept for you know seventy two hours, we definitely need sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you start to go insane if you don't have sleep. But we don't know exactly why. We just know that that's the case and right um and we just know the limited amount of science behind that and so yeah it's interesting um talking about science and and different things like that because it's not science isn't an exact science (laughs) right (laughs) Um, that's right (laughs) nicely done yeah yeah uh i can i say can i say what is an exact science what Whatever Will Smith is doing to work out in that uh, in the movie, man, because that boy is fit. Holy yeah. cow, that man oh, yeah. is a fit man. I um, yeah, it's it's a lot of personal trainers that are paid. <laughs> they they basically pay you to have a personal trainer and a nutritionist and um and and there's there's probably steroids involved as well. But uh, yeah, who knows? But yeah, it's yeah. When the the amount of effort that they do to get actors into the shape that they want is so, oh. like, incredible. Uh, there's a there's an interview with Rob McElhenney. He's he's one of the guys, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. And he he talks about how, um, how like you have a family. Okay, get rid of that. Uh, you have a <laughs> nine to five job. Get rid of that too, because you will be spending most of your time at the gym. Um, you like food, uh, alcohol. Yep, none of that, because uh, you will that. spend the next three months starving yourself, and right. and so yeah, uh, it's but it's it, it's one of those things where we we could all do it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've you've posted pictures of how fit you've gotten over time, <laughs> and and it's certainly things that we can do, but not it's far easier to do when you're making a couple million dollars for a picture, right? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> and you have it's, the it's best harder to do nutritionists on right, your side exactly. and best, yeah. you know physical trainers on your side. Yeah. It's right. It's definitely a lot of work and it's, it's a lot harder to get that body than people, people like to think it is. Right. Uh, but plus there's the genetics of it. 
Yeah, yeah, there's also genetics. Um, I yeah. like how you said I'm in shape. I've actually gained the COVID-19, so. Oh, um, bummer. Yeah, bummer, <laughs> I bummer. just remember there was, well, sorry, we're getting off track. <laughs> You're good. There was just a picture you posted. I was like, dang, Zach put on some muscle. Holy cow. Yeah, I still have muscle. It's just, uh, it's just encased, it, it's encased in a little bit of fat right now, so. <laughs> it's just um, our food storage, right? That's just, yeah. we like to, protective layers. Yeah, you know, um, I'm more insulated, you can say. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, like within the greater good closing off New York city. And for a minute, mm. I thought, I thought Manhattan was ground zero and everywhere else was fine. Um, but, uh, then I learned that that wasn't the case. Um, but I, it, it would have to be so scary to be at that place when the bridges were blown up. And, well, and realizing that you aren't safe, you know? Right. And certainly, I mean, that's a, a very drastic measure to take. Yeah. It's so drastic. And so, I mean, the, to draw that conclusion that we've got to, we can't just shut down the bridges because we don't have to worry about people trying to sneak across. Yeah. Uh, we have to blow them up. It really is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're burning your ships. To, you're not, you're not, you're not planning on reopening anytime soon. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, I found it somewhat irresponsible the way in which they did it. And, you know, the, the resulting crashing of the helicopters, I think was, was a, a direct result of that. Yeah. R- drastic measure that they took in a rather unseemly manner. I don't know that, you know, obviously you have people and it's a movie. And so you can play into it, whatever you want. You have people who are making these decisions and, and, and Neville does talk about how they've, they've got a, it did sound like New York was ground zero because they're talking about it jumping off the island and if they could stop it from doing so, which is why they went ahead and, and hit the bridges. But still, I was like, man, that's not a, uh, a faith-inducing move. <laughs> yeah. you're, not, it, you're not inspiring anybody by saying, you're going to be stuck here a long time. Go home and remain calm. That's not the result that you can reasonably expect out of blowing up bridges. Yeah, and it's sort of it, – it's a very hard call that – you know, world leaders have to make in regards to that. Um, Cause I mean, we're, we're seeing now with like the tension between Ukraine and Russia, mm-hmm. like we obviously don't want a world war three to happen, but we also don't want Russia to invade Ukraine. And so it's sort of like a balancing act of what, what is the better situation for most of the people that, that we can make. And right. I, I think when, I think when things like that happen, um, world leaders also panic, also tend to panic, and that's when things can go off the rails, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, no doubt. But it definitely is, you know, the essentially you have the people making the decision that however many people are on uh, on Manhattan at that point are sacrificial lambs. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do for you. We're trying to save the rest of the world, yes. and therefore we are going to allow you to remain on the island in the hopes that we can keep the virus from jumping. And sadly, you know, not to say that, that we're willing to sacrifice Ukrainians, but the idea of, of putting NATO boots on the ground in Ukraine opens up doors that most people don't want to open. So you really do have to make those very, very tough decisions mm-hmm. because I don't think it would be difficult. In a lot of ways, I think uh, Putin is, is almost egging on NATO to, to put an end to his invasion in Ukraine just so that he would have an excuse to pursue invasion elsewhere. Yes. And, but 
what do I know? I mean, he's, yeah. he's, a, I think he's a crazy man, but I think he's crazy like a fox. Yeah. Well, he's saying, yeah, he's, he's saying that he's doing this just so he can get like Russian land back. But I don't, I, I don't think that's the only reason or the sole reason why he's doing it. You know, it's no, it, no. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting how, um, like the, the decisions that world leaders have over these sorts of sorts of situations and right. Um, and we're all at the mercy of those decisions, you know, um, it's not, it's not them. That's usually going to be, uh, affected by it. It's, it's going to be normal people, um, in those prospective countries. But, um, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about, uh, the, what like isolation does to you as a person. Cause I, I really, really loved, and Will Smith's acting in this is, is, so good um i loved how he like talked to the mannequins like they were people Mm -hmm. i loved how he talked to sam um like a person and and i'll I'll, like catch myself like talking to link when i'm just Uh by myself yeah um and and you know and link doesn't probably doesn't understand what i'm saying or like doesn't doesn't (laughs) comprehend that i'm actually like talking to him but uh it's sort of it's sort of like we are such social creatures right. and I think, I think it all fell through for him when he saw two other living people. Cause in his mind, like he was alone for three years. And so he, he did not believe that anyone else was alive. Like he believed right. that he had to continue on with this vaccine um, in order for him to actually talk to people again. Right. No, it, it definitely. Yeah. And as we talked about at the beginning that, just the solitude and trying to find things to occupy your time. Yes. And, and you look at how meticulous he was and the fact that he's, you know, obviously he can only venture so far a, because he's on an Island and B because there's still certain limitations, you know, gas supply. And then just the, the time that it takes to get somewhere. He also has, he has to measure that so that he can be sure he's back in time to make whatever defensive measures or take whatever defensive measures he needs to, in order to protect himself at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at, you know, the map that he's got, he's crossing off. Well, I've been to this house and I've been to that house. Then you look at his house and the art. I mean, he's saving art pieces. Yes. And then just the, sh- the vast amount of food. He's got more food there than probably he could eat in the rest of his life. Yeah. But he's got to maintain a schedule and a procedure because otherwise he'll go insane. Because even even going through, I mean, it's not, he's not going to the video store. Now I'm old enough to remember going to video stores mm-hmm. and wandering around and looking at videos. It's, but it's just like Netflix. How many times do you, sp- how many times do you spend the evening looking at what shows are on Netflix without actually watching a show? on Netflix? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's working his way through all of the videos in that store and he picks up, he brings back the one that he, he borrowed the night before and he takes the next one, the one next to it to take uh-huh. that to go watch. Yeah. Uh, and he even like mentions, um, is it Bob Marley that he was talking about? Yes. He mentions Bob Marley having this theory that that love and music can cure racism. Right. And right. Me, and meanwhile he is trying to find a cure for this disease as well. Right. And yeah. and he really like has music and art as as sort of a crutch and sort of a um a uh like a medicine for him so that he doesn't go completely crazy. And and I I noticed so I I, and I love the pop culture references. Like when he's in Times Square, you saw all the all the musical boards, right? And yeah. you saw um, like Batman versus Superman right, poster exactly. up there, and yeah. um, and then oh, what else was it? 
when when he was when the kid was watching Shrek, uh, I thought that was interesting because Shrek at the beginning of the film is completely isolated, and it was sort of a juxtaposition of him and and when he said I like Shrek after quoting like so much of of the mundane lines that they were saying, and you could tell that he watched Shrek over and over and over again, so he basically memorized it. But right. yeah, you could tell like he saw himself in Shrek because he was just alone. Well, um, if you also notice the scene that he parrots is the scene where Donkey is like, hey, your swamp is now our swamp. Yeah. When he's got to figure out how to share his house with these two other people. Yes, exactly. And Donkey's like giving him uh, a better alternative to life like those two people are doing. And uh, Shrek is rejecting it. Like, right. Um, like Neville. And I just thought that was a really cool um, moment. And and I love I love how they added art and music, um, yes. basically makes life better. Um, but yeah, I just you just felt so bad for him, especially after Sam dies and he goes back and talks to one of the mannequins and he's like, "Please say hi back." Yeah, uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, Truly heartbreaking. Yeah, um, and a little bit insane. A little bit of insanity. You yes. gotta. <laughs> yes. There's even to the point where when the the zombie set the trap for him that fred is outside and his head actually moves like i've i've gone back and i've watched that scene multiple times in all different and the head of the mannequin does actually shift which is terrifying yes. you got to think he's gone he's so close to losing it at any moment that obviously a mannequin's head isn't going to move yeah but in his mind he sees the the mannequin so out of context that he projects the head of the mannequin moving because he so badly wants it to be real. Mm-hmm. And yet that ends up being his ultimate undoing, right? Is, yeah. is the fact that he's got that, that touch of humanity that he won't let go of Yeah, that the zombie saw him interacting with these, these mannequins and knew that that would be something that would drive him so crazy that he would stop being so meticulous and start making mistakes. Yes. And at first, um, at first I thought that it was one of the zombies right. uh, with a hoodie on. Right. And I was like, Oh, Oh no! And I thought they were messing with him by putting on that exact same hoodie, but I, but then I realized it was the mannequin. But yeah, how, and and how, in like how intelligent those zombies were were really really creepy, um, <laughs> just with uh, just like with the mannequin, and mannequins are already creepy, and then with um, with how they sleep, I thought that was so oh. weird and creepy. Um, like when you just saw all the bald heads just moving up and down. Yeah. I was in a like, hive. In a yeah. Hive. Yeah. Just... I was not ready for that. Uh... No, that, that has to be one of the most intense scenes. I remember uh, my wife and I went and saw this in the movie theater and uh-huh. that was, I think I still have marks on my arm from her fingernails digging into my forearm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause, when, Cause Sam, who we've immediately so quickly, you grow to love and yeah. I, I just love how Sam's the movie. Great. Yeah. They, they can just, they can, I mean, first of all, it's a dog. Yeah. I'm not a, I own a dog, but I'm I wouldn't I'm not what you would call a dog person. We have a dog. I shouldn't say I own it. We have a dog, <laughs> uh, but I'm not what you would call a dog person. I'm a non-dog person who happens to have a dog. But it's <laughs> but so you live easy with dog to. People. Well, my son is a dog person, or turning into a dog person. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyway, he uh, you, you come to love Sam so quickly, not only because of the the connection that Sam has to to the daughter. Uh-huh. Uh, but also just the faithfulness, the way he is used, you know, that he and, and, and Neville work together as a partnership. Yeah. So when 
when Sam goes into that warehouse or that bank or whatever it was, oh, that the intensity of that scene with the the flashlight and he's calling him, but he can't make too much noise. And by the time that the hive finally wakens and comes after him, you're almost relieved because that's like, okay, at least we know, you know, that something has happened. It's not just him. It, you know, we don't have to deal with nothing happening. Something actually happens. It kind of breaks the dam of suspense. Yeah. Uh, well, over and over, just like the light going on and off oh. with his hand. And you're just expecting, you're expecting something to happen. And uh, it, it was very well done. Um, interestingly enough, at least for me, you know that Neville's going to survive. Mm-hmm. The fear is, and this is where they kind of prepare you. They foreshadow something because you're just so terrified. That he's going to find Sam yeah. being torn apart by these things. Yes. And you of see course, the deer and you're like, oh no, yeah, like, we're yeah. going to find Sam there. But yeah, Sam's ultimate fate is almost worse. Yeah. And it, Sam makes me so sad because like, it seems like Sam was, Unfortunately, Sam was Neville's downfall um, because because Sam isn't as meticulous as as Neville because Sam's a dog and Sam goes primarily off of instinct and the training that that she has received, you know, and it's it's so heart wrenching when you see Sam's downfall because that well, then then he obviously goes and fights the, the zombies with his car. And because he, he doesn't care about life anymore because he lost right. the only thing that he had um, truly. And yeah, it's just, I, and at first I, I was wondering why they just sent the dogs out. Uh, but they sent the dogs out because they knew Sam would react to the dogs. Right. I, I was wondering, I was like, why aren't they coming out and, and attacking him? But then I realized they, they were trying to break him, right. which is sad. Well, and it, because if you think about, it's a tit for tat thing, right? Like he kidnaps one of them mm-hmm. and, and, and Neville is in, in as intelligent an individual as he is, he fails to recognize because he, he mentions, Oh, saw some odd behavior from a male who exposed himself to the sun without recognizing that that male was connected to the, the female that he had kidnapped, that yes. he had entrapped. Yes. And so then, then the male uses his intelligence to, uh, to trap the, you know, the exact same trap that Neville used. He uses on Neville um, so I think there was the, I didn't think about that, the idea that they were using the dogs. I, I just assumed that the dogs would, were able to function in more light than the, than the zombies were. Mm. Uh, but it certainly changes the perspective. And this is something that I find very interesting because after having watched this movie, I've watched the old Charlton Heston Omega man. Uh, and then I read the book and, and there's a, there's a quite a contrast in how they, how everything plays out in the book versus, versus the, the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, but the, the point, my point being that these zombies turn out to be much more intelligent. Now they're still very base in their nature and the way that they, you know, the the one zombie knocking his head against the plexiglass trying to break through. Yeah, they're certainly more they're intelligent ways of doing that. Yeah. Right, exactly, perfectly said. Uh, and yet there's a there's a high level of intelligence there, mm-hmm. and and that was kind of for me, especially having read the book, where you have more of a chess game between. Neville and his uh, a guy that he worked with at the plant mm-hmm. because in the, in the book they know where Neville lives and, and he experiments on them more in, in as he goes out and he he literally just hunts them day in and day out that's what he does is he he makes stakes so he can go out and they're more of a, a vampirical uh individual uh, 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 animal mm-hmm. in the book than than the zombies they are in the movie and and so the the, the name I am legend comes from the idea that he's the boogeyman 
he's the man that they fear when they go to sleep because he'll come and kill them in their sleep. Oh, wow. And, and, and so it really kind of changes the, the mindset to what I seem, what I read is the overall moral, I guess, uh, point throughout the movie is how do we interact with the other? Yeah. Right. I mean, He's he's terrified of them, and and certainly he's not going to try and, and engage in negotiations with them because they want to tear him apart. Mm-hmm. But he's doing himself to protect it. But they have kind of this detente, right? Like he he does his thing, they do their thing, and everything's fine. It isn't until he traps one of them, he kidnaps them, that they start to take things personally and to attack him personally. Yes, and he fails to see. Hey, he exposed himself to the sun. Maybe I need to stop and think about this this other as somebody more that's that's closer to me than what I thought initially. They're yeah. not as while they are animalistic, there's still more intelligence there than I'm willing to to let on. And how much more am I discounting them for who they are and and their reason for being versus me holding on to my way of being yeah. and thinking that that's the only right way. And unfortunately, he didn't realize how intelligent they were until it was too late. Right, which was his his ultimate downfall, which is usually our downfall, right? When we choose to discount somebody for superficial reasons. Uh, Granted, we don't have people trying to tear us apart (laughs) and and eat our brains. Hopefully. But, well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) But but it brings up a a, a more, I guess, in-depth moral question that I wanted to pose to you to turn the tables on you, Zach. Okay. So if we reduce that down to something very, very fundamental, uh, how long or at what point in time do we become wrong for holding on to the old way? Hmm. So to, to, to put it in just a very basic and very simplistic, uh, thing, I got a text from my, uh, brother-in-law who talked about how they have included it. And I say they meaning the greater they, and I don't know who that is, but I think it's dictionary.com or somebody put an alternative definition for the word literally to incorporate the way most people use the term literally, which means the exact opposite of literally. Hmm. And so, or to put it perhaps in a less confusing way, the word supposedly S U P O S S E D L E Y. I'm sure I know L Y. I know I'm misspelling that, but you have plenty of people who've pronounced it supposedly. Mm -hmm. And now they've included that as an alternative spelling to the word supposedly. So how long do you hold on to the idea that the word supposedly is wrong if that's the way everybody else shifts? And do you have – are there moral absolutes that you have to hold on to or can you adapt to allow for societal change? I think I think we as people and as, as um, a society, we are meant to adapt to change. Um, like we, we are still – the same but we're also not the same as we were at the dawn of man um Mm. and and i i think it so i know as as an acting student um there there are a few teachers that i've had that are speech purists and no matter what show you're doing and no matter what uh context you're in um you need to say the words the correct way every single time but then I would always pose the question to them, okay, what if you're playing someone illiterate? And then they they would tell me like, well, you still need to you still need to say these words correctly so that people can understand them. And I'm like, yeah, but you're missing the point. Like if if the point is to stay true to the character and the character is illiterate or doesn't talk like like perfectly, which no one talks perfectly, 
um, then how do you justify saying every single word perfectly? And it always it always confuses them. And uh, but but they they want they they believe that there is a right way to say things and a wrong way to say things, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think I think languages change and um, languages evolve and adapt. And I think we as humans change and evolve and adapt in our our ways of life, you know. And I think I think to the point of if it if it becomes more detrimental to people um, than it is to keep the tradition, then that's when we need to change. Um, hmm, okay. And uh, um, yeah, because I think. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a, I'm a fairly liberal person, uh, but uh, <laughs> I've gathered as much <laughs> listening to the podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, yeah, I think society is meant to change and, um, yeah. Like, what do you think? Well, no, I think that certainly there's a, uh, there should always be a healthy amount of adaptation. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there are times though, to bring it back to, the beginning of of the 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 pandemic that hit uh, New York in the movie, mm-hmm. I think there are times in which we adapt with the hope of creating something great, and it could end up being our downfall. Mm. In the book, there are essentially two types of vampires. There's the very basal nature vampire that's all about just finding. You know, they, they they stand outside, they harass Neville. They know where he lives. They harass him. They try and draw him out. Um, they use different techniques to try and draw him out. And then there's an uh, an uh, evolved vampire who kind of becomes the new normal. And both the basal uh, vampire and Neville are anomalies. Neville is very much the old way, and the other vampires are the ones that are kind of the ones that that existed along the way, but they haven't evolved. And so these these higher thinking vampires end up going after all of the 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 basal vampires and then eventually actually incarcerate Neville for his crimes against humanity. Hmm. Um and, and and so you think but does that does that make them right or does that or are we foregoing some aspect of our humanity by adapting to the greatest common denominator? Yeah. Because certainly, certainly, if you you know, if you put it in the acting world, if we and, and, and we have plenty of of wonderful adaptations of Shakespeare's writings, mm-hmm. right? And Shakespeare, of course, talk about adaptation. That man was was responsible for the creation of more words than the entirety of the of the the lawyer profession, mm-hmm. because he was willing to to adapt and to make words up that fit the situation. Yes, and yet. And, and you know, and you have West Side Story, especially this this latest adaptation, Steven Spielberg's, which I think is phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, of Romeo and Juliet. And yet, you would never want to d- uh, deprive future generations of the original writings of Shakespeare because there's such beauty to the language that he uses. Now, again, language adapts, and we don't speak that way anymore. Yeah, but there's value in holding on to certain things that are at their core either beautiful or uh, beneficial to society. So I, I. I my and this is the perhaps the conservative lean, leanings in me, uh-huh. um, but there is I think first of all I think two things one there are some moral absolutes, uh, and, and two I think there are things that are worth holding on to if nothing else to ensure that we're anchored somewhere so that we stand for something uh, rather than you know aimlessly drifting through life with our idea of what is for the greater good changing from 
you know, generation to generation. And that may be me signaling my own <laughs> ignorance of what life should be. And I certainly uh, am willing to concede that I could be completely wrong on that aspect uh, and backward thinking. But that said, you know, it's easy for me to sit and hear my kids talk about things and to say, that's not how I would say it, but also to recognize that communication changes over time. So you have to allow that. And yet you, you certainly don't want to devolve, right? Yeah. You don't want to go backward as a society. And I fear that if we don't keep check on where we came from, that we will find ourselves drifting away from what makes us humans in the first place. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a matter of adapting too quickly. Right. Um, I, cause they, they brought that vaccine out very, very quickly, which caused them yeah. to adapt very, very quickly. Right. And uh, like things with um, things that can change an entire system and an entire infrastructure, I think need to be weaned in one so that people can accept them easier. Um, I'm, I'm a very progressive minded person. And so I, but, but with being progressive, you also have to like learn patience. You have to right. understand that people aren't always going to accept your beliefs and your views. And you also have to understand that like they may accept them in the future and they may accept them bits and pieces at a time. And it, and it's usually accepted generationally. It's not right. going to be accepted by the, the older generations, uh, per se. And I, and I, I, I will agree that, um, I actually, I actually would have disagreed with you, uh, up until about now in my life. So, um, I'm in this <laughs> class right now where we're doing, it's, it's called musical theater practicum. And essentially we do a golden age show. Um, we do a few golden age shows, uh, um, a semester, and then we do a few contemporary shows a semester. And a lot of us don't really like the Golden Age shows because they're dated and they, they right. have some problematic messages in them. Um, Help me out, Zach. Sorry to interrupt. Help me out. What do you mean by – like? give me some examples of Golden Age Golden shows. Age is like Carousel, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, uh, so your like Rodgers and Hammersteins. Yes. Early yes. Uh, Sondheim, that type of stuff. Yes. Uh, things okay. usually in the 1940s up until the 50s. Uh, 60s okay. is when so, we start to get into more modern and then 2000s is contemporary. Gotcha. Um, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and I was put into Oklahoma, um, and I'm I've uh, I played Judd Fry recently <laughs> in in Oklahoma, and he is the worst. Um, and uh, <laughs> Alina gave me a look because she she disagrees with me. But um, well, but she disagrees with you that Judd Fry is the worst. Um. Well, I Judd is in. Judd is a product of, uh, I believe Judd is a product of being isolated and a product okay. of being bullied. Um, and okay. we, we've talked about it and we both agree on that, but uh, that doesn't mean that Judd isn't a bad person in the moment in the, in the musical, but, um, and there, there are like some problematic like phrasing in, in golden age shows. But then as we, as I was doing the show, I came to realize the, that there is, there is a message in the show and it was actually very, very progressive for its time, um, mm. and and I I think that it's I think that you should respect the history and you should respect um, the uh, um, I think you should respect the history and the good things that came from history, but I also think that that we can always do better and we can always be better people and be a better society and we should always invite change. Um, uh, if that change is, is a, a good thing. Well, I, I agree with you, except I would change one word. Uh -huh. I think, I think we should accept challenge 
and then change if the challenge causes us to rethink, causes us to have a, a, a new way of thinking. Uh huh. Because change for the sake of change is is frankly stupid. Uh-huh. We don't change just to change. We change to evolve into something better. And so if we allow ourselves to be challenged mm. and allow ourselves to, and, and that it does one of two things. One, well, regardless, it enlightens us to how somebody else thinks, which again goes back to, I think the, the other that we see in I am legend. Mm-hmm. If, if Neville had kind of stopped when he saw the male kind of stay outside longer than he should have, if he would have allowed his thinking to adapt at that point in time, if he would have allowed that challenge to cause him to reevaluate how he was approaching things, he might have let it might have led to a better outcome uh, for him, especially. Uh, but two, so so we're always enlightened to how somebody else thinks when we uh, when we accept challenge, and mm-hmm. and and then if we do that, then enlightenment does one of two things: one, it either gives us a better grounding for us to understand why we believe or why we feel the way we do. We have better analysis into it, or two, if the other person provides information that causes us to change our thinking, then our thinking becomes uh, more evolved. I guess either way we become more evolved, whether it, as long as we're not uh, engaging in, uh, you know, the, the bias, uh, just allowing anything we hear to, to entrench ourselves. But if we, if we openly and honestly accept challenge to our ways of thinking and our ways of life, we're, we should constantly be reevaluating why we do things and how we do them to see if it's the best way, if there's a better way. And if it's, if there's not a better way, then why it's the best way and why we, now we know why we don't do it a different way. Yeah. And I think, and I, I completely agree with you it, it is we should always be um, challenging our beliefs and challenging our thought processes and how we do things. And I, I think it, I think it comes down to being wary of not becoming too extreme on one side True. or the other. Um, it, it, one other caveat I would throw in there. Sorry, I'm interrupting your thought again. I, I, the, the other thought I would say is you have to also be cautious about who you're allowing to challenge you, right? I mean, you don't want toxic people to challenge your way of thinking. Mm-hmm. You don't want to allow them space in your life such that it it degrades who you are. So yeah. you got to be very careful. Certainly, I'm always, I always tell people, ask questions. Always ask questions. Just be cautious of where you're looking for answers. And again, not to say you want to only find answers where it's going to reinforce what you already believe, but rather yeah. just ensure that the people who are providing you information are, truly are also seeking a better way or to better understand something. Because if you have people who are just out there trying to destroy you, it's going to be damaging to you regardless. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, and it's, and I would arguably say that toxic people are usually extremists. Uh, true, true. They usually, they usually think in an extreme because no, no central or sane person tries to tear things down or tear other people down. Um, right. in my opinion, um, Agreed. only so, a Sith de- deals in absolutes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Um, I, I definitely think like with all things, it's just a balance and it, it's just a careful balance of. Um, of challenging yourself. Right. And, a very personal balance. Yeah. Um, so speaking of challenging your beliefs, uh, there was a few mentions of God in, uh, oh, in the movie. And it's, um, it's very, <laughs> cause I, I feel like I would be in Neville's situation where, you know, he's, he's been alone for all these years and he's, 
he's gone through so much trauma, and then all of a sudden this woman comes up and says, God told me that there's this colony here. And he's like, really? God told you? That, I, I don't know. Like, it it seems very... And and I'm always I'm always sort of I'm always sort of shut off, especially when it comes to things in my life. When when people say, "Oh, I felt the spirit about this in in your mm. life," or "I felt like God is telling me to tell you this," I've always it always immediately shuts me off because I I feel like people don't understand my life as much as I do, and so right. I, I just wanted to know your thoughts on that and on. Um, but then at the end, it sort of turned into um, God told him to save them so that uh, they can get the vaccine to to people. So what right. are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Wow. Do we have a whole another hour to <laughs> to that subject? I, uh, but that's a, that is a very, very, well, so putting yourself into, into that perspective and, and, and certainly, you know, I, I think back to, um, oh, now his name escapes me, but in The Walking Dead, the old man who owns the farm. Herschel. Herschel. Herschel uses the, concept of these zombies to deepen his faith in God. Right. Mm-hmm. But it certainly is not very hard to jump to how on earth could God allow for the entirety of existence to die yeah, and me to be the only person left. Now that's an extreme that I have to admit would make me question my own faith. There really, it would be very hard to continue to believe in a God when you're the last person, seemingly the last person left on earth Mm -hmm. and everybody else is dead needlessly and stupidly. And, you know, in, in, in a very, um, punishing way, I guess Mm -hmm. not to. And and so, so absent that extreme way of going, I think every challenge we have, and certainly there are times when each of us feels like we're the last person on earth, even though there are people around us, Mm -hmm. even though there are times, you know, we're surrounded by people, we still feel just so lonely and feel so desperate, like Neville did, that it's easy to stop and think, how could God allow for this to happen? And it really comes down to that personal question of, you can either look for all the things to be angry about and pissed off about and just be just horribly upset with God, or you can try and find some reason for it and really it comes down to your, I would say your survival. I know how I would react. I'm a, I'm a God-fearing individual, and I believe God gives us lessons in everything. I also believe that more hate in my life is detrimental to me. So if I look, if I try and focus on positives and try and, and, and I certainly believe that there is a God and that he loves each of us deeply and personally, such that he wouldn't allow for challenges to come into our lives that, that don't serve a, a purpose of some sort. Mm. Um, that said... Uh, when challenges face, when I face challenges, I, I look at it in the perspective of what can I learn from this and how can I benefit others from what I've learned? Hmm. Uh, and I, I would, and, and I choose to believe that God is the one guiding me through them and providing me the strength to overcome the challenges. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's, that's the way I deal with things personally. But again, you kill off all my family and friends and you leave me all alone and you not only that, but you exacerbate it with the idea that humans or what once were humans are now trying to kill me. Yeah. You better believe I would have a very hard time finding God and all of that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you see him, you see him praying at the beginning of this with his family and, right. and then he just loses it. And it, it would be especially, and, and I like how he said that, um, that God didn't do this. We did, we did this right. to ourselves. Right. Um, and, and the movie sort of said, 
um, at the end that that even though um, even though humans did that to themselves, God has provided a way for humanity to get back on track, which I right. thought was interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, if, if I can jump in there, yeah. You know, and certainly Neville was doing all he could to attract people to him, yes. right? I mean, he's out there broadcasting, but it was, he, he very much was kind of focused on himself, right? Like everything he was doing was about self-preservation. And I do think that there's a lesson to be learned there in that if, if during our challenges we focus on ourselves, the world comes crashing in on us. If we take our challenges and, and use them to help others around us, I think we find ourselves expanding and growing and feeling more love of other people and, and love of God. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that, um, it would be, it would be hard to, I don't know. I think it would be hard to not think of just yourself when yourself is the only thing around. Well, and to be fair, to be fair to Neville, he wasn't just thinking of himself. He really was thinking, how do I create this vaccine so that I can then go find these hives and inject them so that I can bring them back to human existence. So it's unfair yeah. for me to say Neville was, was, but the lesson remains that in our times of trouble, if we focus on ourselves, we usually find it harder to overcome. Whereas if we seek for the chance to help others, I think we get through our troubles more effectively and learn more from them. Mm-hmm. Do you think God or no God? I think. Yeah. Do you think that the, that duo, the child and the woman were able to stay sane and stay, um, mentally intact because they had each other. I, I do. I think, and this is, uh, you know, you have, this is where, you know, we've had our dog for a, a few years now. And again, this is why I don't count myself as a dog person. You know, you have Neville who's had Sam for three years, but there's no interaction. There's no back and forth. There's certainly learning and Sam learned and was very well behaved, but there wasn't the same. It was just call and response, right? There was no, you know, there was that basic nature, you know, Sam chases the the deer into the the warehouse or the bank. That's right. And, and, and the zombies are there and, and he, he doesn't stop to think. Whereas a child, you, you can see and interact with more. And I think that's where the human interaction grounds them to keep their sanity because two things. One, I think having a child around is always more inspiring uh, to see the growth and to see the, the, the learning and the capabilities. And, and then to also know that there is a future to fight for. And, and, and two, there's just the, you know, well, there's certainly more loyalty, I think with animals, it's just the, the knowledge that there's nothing, you know, once, once Neville is gone, Sam will quickly follow. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's really no future there. It's just him. As far as he knows, if he doesn't find a cure for this disease that he's created. Yeah. Um, so her having the child, I think definitely helps keep her more grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, it's it's interesting having someone older because all I've had are like people my age on this podcast. So it's interesting <laughs> hearing a perspective of how old are you, Micah? If you don't mind, broadcasting. <laughs> let's see, what year is this? <laughs> I am forty three. Forty three years old. Okay, that's not that's not that old. That's no. I'm I'm certainly not a boomer, although I do have some boomer tendencies. But uh, no, I, I definitely I think I, I I fit in that generation where I didn't grow up with the internet, but it 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 grew up with me essentially. Yeah. So I, I left on my LDS mission when I came home. Suddenly, there's internet everywhere, and so I had to very quickly adapt. And I think you know that's that's kind of the the mentality I bring into things. Mm-hmm. And then I sit and I look at your generation and the generation after you, and 
see how incredibly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, innovative each generation becomes. And I'm just amazed at the, the things that are coming from people so much younger than me. I think, man, there's a lot of intelligence, a lot of things that I still need to adapt to, to figure out <laughs> how to make my life easier. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 um, the younger generations talking about what we were talking about before definitely challenge the older generations. Oh, I'm, I mean, even, sorry. Oh, I, I I'm, I'm sort of wondering and sort of scared at what, uh, you know, my children will challenge me with, you know, right? because right. I, I have my own beliefs that I like to believe in. And, and I know, I know that they're going to challenge me with a few that seem off to me, you know, right? like it happens yeah. with every generation, you know? Yeah. And, and you have to stop and think, is this really worth fighting for? I mean, I'm, I'm in the mindset where it's like, why are we fighting to get people back into the office in general? If, if you can, if you are more productive at home, let people work at home for crying out loud. We don't yeah. have to do things just because we've always done them. And certainly yes. the religion you grew up in, the religion I still participate in being uh, LDS, there are so many times when I've, I'm left asking the question, is this just something we do because it's tradition or is this something that's required through you know religious uh, doctrine? And if it's just tradition, then if it serves a great purpose, fine, let's keep doing it. But if not, jettison it. If we all hate doing it, stop doing it for crying out loud. Yeah. Exactly. So that's very much a, you know, just because religion takes up so, such a big part of, or makes makes up such a big part of my life and takes up a big, a big part of my life. But that's the same way in all of our thinking. And, and so it is interesting for you to think about how your kids are going to challenge you. What are the ways you're going to be set in <laughs> yes. where your kids are going to be like, dad, you're so old fashioned. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so scared about that, but it'll be fine. Like you, your kids it, are in high school, right? Uh, high school, two in high school, high. one in junior high. Yeah. So you probably deal with that almost every day. Yeah, definitely when it comes to the technology thing. I, uh -huh. I this is going to make me sound so stupid and old, but I made a TikTok and I was like, okay, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I finally just went to my four, 13 year old. No, she was 14 years old at the time and said, Hey, what's the, uh, here's my idea. Here's what I want to have happen. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah. 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 And the metaverse, you know, Oh my goodness. Jeff Bezos will be emperor. I don't know. Hopefully <laughs> I think he and Elon Musk will have like a duel to the end. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I went over everything I wanted to go over. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, no, no. I think we've covered it all. I just, I really enjoy this movie. It certainly doesn't, I, I found that when it comes to zombie movies, one of the things I love, and certainly you have more, um, uh, more questions, more moral questions to ask when you have to interact with other people in a an antagonistic way, where it's it's you've got the main bad guy, which is a zombie, but then you have the other of of another group, and they're trying to survive, you're trying to survive, and and you look at so many movies and they pit these people against each other. And I think that's so stupid. Wouldn't you wouldn't you cleave to anybody else who was still alive? Yeah. But I also love disaster movies because or the aftermath of disasters, because it's a new way of thinking, it's a new way of adapting, mm -hmm. and how do we? And so I, Robinson Robinson Crusoe, I love. Um, lost the TV show I loved, even though there were a lot of stupid decisions made by not only the, the runners of the show, but also the, the characters in there. But anytime you have zombies, you have to rethink what does safe look like? What do I really need? Do I really need cigarettes? Do I really need, um, you know, do I really need a bed to sleep in or can I be comfortable wherever, you know, just all the things that were, what do we really need in life and how do we make life meaningful? And so I, yeah. I, I that's, I think that's why I love, zombie movies and disaster movies because it really does cause us to stop and rethink our life and how do we make our life more meaningful how do we make it better how do we make how do we continue to connect with humanity in a way 
that allows us as a collective to progress and become better as a whole. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I figured out this last week uh, what I do need. Uh, I need a fridge because our (laughs) fridge died and ruined all of our food. And so we we just got a new one. But yeah. uh, Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. A fridge is is a necessity, you know? Yes, in today's society, it definitely is. Yeah. But then again, you know, they just eat non-perishables usually. Right. Um, but, but if you look at you look at Neville, he created, you know, he had generators, he had yeah. refrigeration. So it's it's not a an absolute necessity, but it's very much a, a very near necessity for the way our minds work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, we touched on everything. Um, so uh, we'll be back after a short musical interlude with a moral dilemma. back all right micah here's your moral dilemma so um what is more important to you uh your family or the world my family your family 100 percent. that's 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 one of those that uh so so obviously we put ourselves in and this is the lawyer in me kicking in you put yourself in a situation where it's okay you know my my son has to die uh in order to save the world uh-huh. And at that point, you know, I think, okay, yeah, I, th- I think I'd have to be willing to make that sacrifice. Uh-huh. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't get up in the morning. I don't, I mean, even working out, even trying to keep myself healthy is all about having more time with my family, being able to spend more quality time with my family, mm. uh, being there for my kids and my grandkids and hopefully my great-grandkids. Um, but definitely uh, on my day-to-day, you know, even going to work. My father-in-law worked in an industry that he disliked for a, a, long, a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhat to the detriment of his mental health, certainly for, you know, he had, he, there were some issues he went through and I think part of it was that, but it was all because he knew he needed to bring home money for his family. And so, yeah, definitely family on a day to day. But when it comes to kind of that grand gesture of my family or the world, yes, I would be willing to sacrifice my family for the world, mm. but I it hope. would be a close call. I hope your family's <laughs> listening to this right now. <laughs> Again, you have to put it in the right context. If it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. my, my daughter dies or uh, if she lives, then, then you know, one-tenth of the population suffers. Well, that's, you know, you start putting numbers in there, suddenly it becomes much harder to deal with. That's a, yeah. that becomes a much harder question. Well, I don't, I think, I don't, I don't think I would be strong enough to, you know, I don't have kids or anything. Um, but, I, and so I, I don't know to the extent of the love that a parent has to, for their child. But I, I like know the love I have for my wife and I don't know if I would be strong enough to, to let her go to save the rest of the world, you know? Right. And, uh, that would be a very, very hard decision to make. Um, but I mean, uh, it sort of, it sort of like goes to this quote that I heard that like, um, you want to you want to be with a villain because a villain uh, a hero will sacrifice you for the world, but a villain will sacrifice the world for you. Uh, sort of a a weird quote, but that's sort of what it made me think of. Does, but, does that make me a villain? Because I said I put my family first. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Well, I mean, you you did say that like 
if it came down to it, you you probably would sacrifice your family for the world, depending on how many people it is. But yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you know to be to bring it very real. My as we've watched this uh, the the Russian invasion and and the the murderous rampage that that uh, Putin is on uh, in Ukraine. My son is 17. He turns 18 in in September and he starts his senior year. But, you know, in in a year from now, he'll be graduating high school. And so the Mm -hmm. question is, what if if Putin invades one of the NATO countries and we go to war? Are we you know, is there going to be a draft? Do we have to worry about that as my son as an 18 year old? And and so my thought is and this was the discussion that he and I had. And it was very a a theoretical discussion because it it seems so unlikely. Well, I shouldn't say it seems so unlikely, but it's so far removed at this point in time. Mm hmm. I said, well, listen, you know, you'll be going, uh, he, he's, he says he wants to serve uh, an LDS mission. And so it'd be like, that would probably be a deferral there. And then you would also have the fact that you'd be in school, right? And so there'd likely be a deferral there. Mm-hmm. I said, but you know, and then I said to him, and then, but, but if it comes down to it, and if you have to go serve, then we'll prepare you to go serve. And mm-hmm. if you give up your, if, if your life is taken in, in serving, then it'll be a noble sacrifice. It'll be horrible for me and your mother, and we'll have to live with that sorrow the rest of our lives. But if it makes the world a better place, then all the better. Um, That's a but hard I would rather... conversation. Oh, it was. I mean, yeah, I'm I mean, still was... I'm still in drafting age, so I could personally get drafted. And... Yeah. That's See, like and that's a, the thing. Is, yeah. I, I would pull a Mulan. I'd be like, nope, my son's staying. I'm going. I'll go fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more willing to sacrifice myself than my family. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, I, you know, it, it's it's not an easy it, it, it's I mean, if as you said, with with your wife, it would not be it's not an easy to say it, it's it's easy in theory. It's easy to say, yeah. hey, my family will always come first. But there are times in which I would be willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. My first choice would be to sacrifice myself. But if I had to sacrifice my son or uh, my one of my daughters, um, it would be heartbreaking and it would likely truly break me as an individual. Mm-hmm. But if it saved the lives of of many others, then then it would be something that theoretically I would be willing to do. And hopefully mm. I never face that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hard questions. Very hard. And hopefully a draft doesn't happen. I, yes, I don't think it will. I mean, we got drones and stuff now, so. Right. It's... Well, it was certainly it, the idea of, of being a, a soldier on the, on the front. I mean, not to take away from the Ukrainians who are fighting valiantly and, and very uh, uh, well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like, I would imagine that any war overseas that would, cause our young men to go we would be doing more of the piloting drone type stuff rather than down on the front lines yes exactly and if we if we're talking about following tradition i um you know the united states entered both world wars at the very tail end of them so right uh (laughs) and just finished them but yes all right well uh thanks for coming on this podcast it went a little over time but i think we talked about a lot of good things yeah. Sorry. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated this. I've, I've enjoyed the podcast, uh, listening to it. So many different questions, so many things that I've been screaming at, at my phone as I listen to it. Like, no, that's not the way to think about it. So it's, <laughs> it's awesome in that it gets me thinking. So I appreciate that aspect of it. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I can, I can be an outlet for you to say opposing <laughs> things that you, <laughs> you disagree with. Um, and I have some friends that, that, probably you know you disagree with as well but uh, that's that's why that's why i like doing this it's because you know things things don't get better and things don't get solved if we don't talk about them 
in a Agreed. in a civilized 100%. fashion. So yeah, well, thanks for coming 100%. on and and um, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And thanks for putting um, up with the old uh, the old man here. Yeah, the old the old forty forty ish. I forgot already. Forty four. Forty three. Forty three. All right, forty. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure we get that three in there, <laughs> not that four. That's right. Uh, um, all right. Well, um, if you guys uh, listeners can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Feed Your Brain, you can also follow us at Zacky the Zombie on Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at feedingwithyourbrain at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also follow Fortin Horseman on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And it will help us a lot if you subscribe to us, leave a review on Apple Podcast, and share this podcast with your friends and enemies. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, stay safe and stay sane. Thank you, guys. Bye.